Each of you has a specific set of skills. We need to pull off this Twitter heist. So what's the score? Seeking to destabilize world governments? Start a world war? Make millions? Billions? No. We're gonna steal $100,000 in Bitcoin. On July 15th, the biggest score in Twitter history went down. I'm in. You got the money? No, I, I, I'm, I'm on their slack. And they had no idea what they were doing. Twitter heist. Two big criminals. Coming to streaming platforms soon. Rated R. Tonight, the North Korean hackers going even further. This was just the latest in a series of leaks. 143 million Americans, one of the largest cyber attacks in this country's history. Estimated losses from these breaches in excess of $20 billion. This is Decrypted, a cybersecurity podcast for the everyday person. I'm your friendly neighborhood cyberman, Jacob Besida. And I'm joined by my cyber partner in crime. Dayton Williams. It's great to be here, Jacob. That's right. And today we're delving into the Twitter heist. On July 15th, some of the most prominent Twitter accounts were compromised, all posting the same message. Thankfully, it was not an ominous harbinger of the end times, but instead, just a Bitcoin scheme. But could such a high-profile hack really be so simple? Was this just an elaborate proof of concept for an even bigger, even worse hack? This week, we dissect the great 2020 Twitter heist. So what actually happened? Well, let's turn to Twitter's official statement on the matter. Yeah, the Twitter accounts of Bill Gates, Joe Biden, Elon Musk, and companies like Apple and Uber were all hijacked at the same time to push a cryptocurrency scam. The verified Twitter accounts posted tweets that followed a template that read, I'm giving back to my community. All Bitcoin sent to me will be doubled. If you send me $1,000, I'll send you $2,000 back. Only doing this for 30 minutes. Then, below the message, there was a Bitcoin wallet ID. Very cheeky. A breach like this, with so many high-profile Twitter accounts, has, until this moment, been unprecedented. You know, you get this level of access, and you get this lame Bitcoin message. How, How is this something that could possibly have happened? Right, like... It's so wild. You have the, the the most influential people in the world on Twitter that can have seismic effects on the world. They could have easily sold that access for like millions of dollars. You know, imagine how much like Russian or Chinese intelligence services would pay to publish one or two tweets on Joe Biden's Twitter account. Yeah, announcing his VP pick as someone completely different, as just something funny. I mean, it's hard to believe that this is just a shameless plug to get some Bitcoin. Is this a larger campaign? Well, let's let's keep looking into the hack a little bit more. So the hackers got access to the employee privileges by social engineering offensive on July 15th using a phone spear phishing attack. Okay, so this meant they targeted specific Twitter employees gunning for their internal network access as well as their access to internal support tools that manage Twitter user accounts. So some of the targeted employees didn't have access to the permissions of the account management tools, but 
The attackers use their credentials to access Twitter systems to gain organizational insight into the way they manage accounts. That reconnaissance and some of the access credentials enabled them to target other employees who did in fact have access to account support tools. So in short, they kind of spied on the way Twitter was working, found out who knew what, found out what those people knew, and then use that information to target the phones of the people who had these really powerful uh, account management tools. Yeah, so it was like a phishing attack to launch an even better spear phishing attack for admin access. Right. It was that they sharpened the spear before they plunged it into the big fish of Twitter. As far as the actual consequences of the compromised Twitter accounts, the damages were, frankly, very light. Only about $110,000 worth of Bitcoin were stolen from, you know, followers of these various verified accounts, which, you know, given their popularity and the reach of all the accounts combined, you know, it's not too bad. Yeah, and money stolen aside, the most pressing concern for most Twitter users is, did they see any of my DMs? Did they get any of my personal information? And for the majority of users on the site, that appears to have not been the case. Um, The Twitter account tool hack did not result in any viewing of previous passwords, email addresses, and phone numbers of Twitter users. Whether or not the 130 verified accounts that were compromised uh, had private information taken remains to be seen. Um, Twitter did report in a a press release that up to 36 of the 130 targeted accounts had their DM box accessed. And for several of the Twitter accounts compromised, the attackers downloaded that account's information using the Your Twitter Data tool, which is a summary of the Twitter account data as an activity. But for like the millions of people on Twitter, 36 accounts having their privacy compromised is nothing. I mean, yeah. I mean, for me, the biggest impact was finally sticking it to those blue check marks. You know, finally, us normal folks reign supreme on Twitter. The only people able to speak as Twitter blatantly disabled the ability of anyone with a blue checkmark from being able to talk for a short period. Right. Which reminds me, we need to get one of those checkmarks, Jacob. Well, I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we're going to be hacked if we do so. Right. Follow at Decrypted Podcast on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. (laughs) So who did it? Was it, you know, Russian hackers in an attempt to control high-profile Twitter accounts to influence the election? Was it a hacking group trying to influence stock prices or shake up confidence in the market? I mean, we've seen this with just regular tweets from someone like Elon Musk, the stock prices of uh, Tesla. Could have this been a concerted attack to make a lot of money this way? No, actually. It was just a bunch of kids who hacked Twitter users to get cooler usernames and then got way over their heads. Yeah, this is this whole process of getting these swag usernames that are just better. So this is something called an OG account. So Dayton, let let me know about OG accounts. So OG stands for Original Gangster. And these are like really uh, short, rare usernames for different websites, right? Mm -hmm. So um, at Lizard, at Fire... Um, these are, these are you know, Twitter names that are valuable because they're memorable and they're short. And they could be used and purchased by people who want to market certain things or used by political campaigns. Um, it's kind of akin to cyber squatting, except instead of just taking URLs, um, a lot of these people involved in OG accounts um, steal them. I mean, right, who doesn't want the real OG account, at Jacob? I'm sick of being at Jacob17. All those 16 other Jacobs, I'm sick of their crap. I want to be at Jacob. Unbelievable. (laughs) 
Right. I don't want to name my kid Jacob1778 or some other crap later in the future. He needs to have at Jacob as well. It's ridiculous. So, I mean, obviously, this is this is silly. Right, totally. And if you wanted to get at Jacob, you would find a sim, a sim swapper or a, a, an OG account Discord or, or forum online, and you could pay someone to get at Jacob or to steal it for you. A little bit more about sim swapping, though, a little bit later. So... You know, the point is, is the odd thing about all this hacking of accounts for prestigious names, it's it's not an outlier. It's actually quite common. If you want to know more about OG account theft, we heavily recommend an episode of Reply All called Snapchat Thief. But coming back to the story at hand, uh, we've parted the veil a bit here, and we have to get to the question of who are these hackers, and how did they get caught? So it really starts with an account named Kirk. Kirk, using phishing, gained access to Twitter employees' accounts, and used that access to launch a more honed spear phishing attack to gain access to you know accounts with Twitter admin tools. From there, he had access, but what to do with it? Well, people who work selling OG accounts don't generally work alone. So, Kirk first reached out to the group who would eventually take control of the Twitter accounts in question. These two go by the names of LOL and EverSoAnxious on OG Users, a forum dedicated to helping users hijack and resell OG accounts from Twitter and other social media platforms. You'd think guys who make a living taking good usernames would have good usernames themselves. Well, unfortunately not. And like many other stories that involve criminality and the internet, they go by different names on different services. So for simplicity, we will refer to them by their last names. Yeah, so ever so anxious is, we're just going to call him his last name, Shepard, and LOL is Fazelli. So Kirk connected with Fazelli late Tuesday the 14th and then Shepard on Discord on the 15th, and asked if they wanted to be middlemen in his Twitter account selling scheme to the OG underworld, where they would take a cut for each of the sales of these OG accounts. This is sort of how the OG account game works. Generally, the hacker relies on sellers to move the names or connect with clients interested in a username. Shepard and Fazelli told the Times that they wanted to talk about their work with Kirk in order to prove that they had only facilitated the purchases and takeovers of lesser-known Twitter addresses, they said they had not continued to work with Kirk once he began more high-profile attacks around 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday. LOL, a.k.a. Fazelli, you know, he purchased the Twitter name, at why, uh, a question I ask, because why do they think that is a good name? Uh, and ever so anxious, a.k.a. Shepard, got at anxious, you can actually still see personalized uh, details that they set up, sitting as a monument to their misdeeds on this suspended account. And well, with this, the middlemen started selling their ill-gotten gains. But unfortunately, this would all come back to haunt them. So how do we know this all happened? Well, someone named Joseph O'Connor, who goes by Plugwalk Joe, another great account name, says he got the account from Kirk and his associates, the account, at six. However, Joe traced his exchange through screenshots of their Discord convo involving the sale and use of Fazelli and Shepard as middlemen, implicating their accounts. 
But the damning piece of evidence was Kirk telling Fazelli and Shepard to send funds to the same Bitcoin address used in the scam tweets. And from there, finding Kirk was only a matter of time. So Fazelli lived on the West Coast and was in his 20s. Shepard said he was 19 and lived in the south of England with his mother. So who was Kirk? Was he some big shot hacker? Well, no. His name is Graham Clark, a 17-year-old, the youngest of the bunch, who used phishing techniques to leverage his access. I mean, I'm not trying to downplay the seriousness of this act, but it wasn't like some zero-day, never-before-seen exploit. So categorizing Kirk as a mastermind hacker is a little bit misleading. But that doesn't mean his story isn't worth knowing. The following comes from a New York Times article by Nathaniel Popper, Kate Conger, and Kellen Browning. Kirk's online shenanigans, to put it mildly, began at the age of 10 in Minecraft, of all places, where he became an adept scammer cheating his own friends, making fake accounts and scamming people out of money for them. Clark once offered to sell his own Minecraft username, named Open, said Nick Jerome, 21, a student at Christopher Newport University in Virginia. The two messaged over Skype, and Mr. Jerome, who was then 17, said he sent about $100 for the username because he thought it was cool. Then, Mr. Clark blocked him. Clark gained sort of a notoriety in the Minecrafting community. Minecrafters produced videos of his abhorrent behavior and scamming. He'd often even use racist and sexist remarks. But this account scamming continued as he moved on to other platforms, other games like Fortnite, and eventually even joining the OG user community. Well, not for long. He managed to get banned from OG users because he failed to send Bitcoin to another user for a transaction, a trend that seems to have started from his Minecraft days. But from OG users, things only expanded because he learned about SIM swapping, a common technique for gaining OG accounts. At 15, he was on hacker forums, learning about SIM swapping. This is when you take over people's phone numbers to access all of their accounts attached to that number. Why would he do something like this? Well, for Bitcoin, of course. A year later, uh, at the age of 16, he was even more involved with Bitcoin. But unlike others at his age, he wasn't just interested in investing it. Instead, he appeared to have been involved with the theft of up to $856,000 in Bitcoin. Although he was never charged for it. So this particular hack happened in 2019, where hackers seized control of a tech investor by the name of Greg Bennett, his uh, phone. And within a few minutes, they had secured his online accounts, his Amazon, his email, but most importantly, 164 bitcoins, which at the market value of the time was $856,000. And today, $1.8 million. Mr. Bennett then received an extortion note. It was signed by Scrim, another of Clark's online aliases. Shortly after this hack, Clark could be seen on his Instagram. After this huge heist with designer sneakers and Rolexes. In April, the Secret Service seized 100 Bitcoins from Clark, according to government forfeiture documents. A few weeks later, Mr. Bennett received a letter from the Secret Service saying that they had recovered 100 of his Bitcoins, citing the same code that was assigned to the coins seized from Mr. Clark. It's unclear what happened to the other 64 Bitcoins if other people were involved. The funny thing is, is that that story actually keeps going. Mr. Bennett said after an interview with the Secret Service that the person who had stolen his Bitcoin was not arrested. Why? Because he was a minor. The Secret Service hasn't said anything else on the matter. 
After this incident, Clark started making assurances to his online associates that he was finally going to go legit. But less than two weeks later, after the Secret Service seizure, prosecutors said Mr. Clark began working to get inside Twitter. According to a government affidavit, Mr. Clark convinced a Twitter employee that he was a co-worker in the IT department and had the employee provide credentials to access the customer service portal. His online career of cybercrime wouldn't last long, being caught at 17 over the Twitter hack. The hack unfolded on July 15th. A few days later, Clark had used his access to, again, cheat the customers who wanted to covertly buy the Twitter accounts. The hacker took the money and handed over the accounts, but quickly reclaimed them, using the same access he used to steal them to steal them back from his own clients. Little has changed from his halcyon Minecraft scamming years. And this all seemed to have stemmed from his involvement in the sim-swapping culture, the sim-swapping community online. And for Clark, it was an accessible kind of hacking. And hacking like it is easy to get caught. You don't know what to do with the access that you have because it's often an early crime. It's like the Joker says in The Dark Knight. I'm like a dog chasing a car. I don't know what to do if I caught it. So ultimately, this is kind of wild because the hack was so prominent. It's not because the hacker was some genius. To quote Marcus Hutchins, AKA Malware Tech, who honestly deserves a full episode devoted to his own escapades. To quote him, sometimes hackers come across valuable access they don't know what to do with. They don't know how to properly monetize it. Just because they only made 100K from having access to almost every Twitter account doesn't necessarily mean there's a deeper hidden motive. Some hackers just aren't creative. Yeah, it's like a comparison of a young carjacker not knowing where to sell a stolen car and then getting caught with it. And like an inexperienced carjacker, the law caught up with the young hackers. In fact, on July 31st, the FBI, IRS, U.S. Secret Service, and the law enforcement in Florida held Mr. Clark accused of being the mastermind behind Twitter's greatest security and privacy breach. And he wasn't the only one to go down. Soon after the Tampa arrest, the U.S. Department of Justice charged Nima Fazelli in Orlando and Mason Shepard, a.k.a. LOL and Ever So Anxious. Shepard, in the U.K., was found out partly because he used his own driver's license to verify his Bitcoin wallet. Uh, Fazelli was also traced by his license with Coinbase. So Fazelli is facing five years in prison and a fine of a quarter million dollars for computer intrusion. Shepard is also being charged with computer intrusion, as well as wire fraud conspiracy, money laundering charges, and many other computer fraud and abuse-related incidents that also equal prison time and $250,000 in fines. Since Graham is a minor, he'll be charged as a juvenile, and the proceedings will be sealed to protect his information. However, the Florida State Attorney filed 30 felony charges against him including scamming people across America in connection with the Twitter hack. His charges include organized fraud, communications fraud, and several other counts of computer-based fraud. But the hacking didn't stop there. In the court case for Clark, who would have guessed it, but a Zoom bomb. And they broadcasted porn over the court proceedings. So, interesting way to end it, I guess. That's it for the hacker and their not-so-great caper, but... We're not going to just conclude with that. What can we really learn from this? Well, let's talk about incident response. Twitter locked down thousands of verified accounts for popular users to prevent more accounts from being abused by the crypto scam. 
It seems as if the elite accounts fell victim to a compromise of Twitter's internal company tools and secured privileges that were reserved for employees. Twitter also took preemptive measures to restrict functionality of many accounts on Twitter. Twitter prevented accounts from tweeting or changing passwords to stop the attackers spreading their scam during Twitter's investigation, as well as locking accounts where a password had been recently changed as a precautionary measure. But Twitter isn't the only player here. What about Coinbase, where Bitcoin transactions are processed? It actually likely would have been worse, but Coinbase and other cryptocurrency exchanges managed to stop some customers from sending Bitcoin to hackers by blacklisting the hacker's wallet address. Coinbase says it prevented about 1,000 followers from sending around $280,000 worth of Bitcoin. Only 14 Coinbase users sent around about $3,000 worth of Bitcoin to the scams address before the company blacklisted it. So Coinbase was actually a little faster and did a pretty good job of responding to the incident. Looking back at what we saw now, we can't just dismiss this because it was sloppy. In fact, really lucky that this was done by inexperienced and incompetent hackers versus something that was more state-coordinated. Um, in fact, we're incredibly lucky that this was the thing that compromised Twitter. Since the attack, Twitter has limited access to the internal tools and systems. And as a result, you know, some features like the Twitter download feature have been, you know, impacted. They're going to be slower to re respond to account support needs, uh, slower to respond to like reported tweets, all just things to make sure that they're reviewing the process a little bit more. Uh, and eventually they claim that they're going to gradually resume their normal response times once they think it's safe to do so. But this isn't, you know, it's great that they're doing this now, but why did this happen with them? Well, it's a lot of problems with access control. And in fact, the great Twitter heist of 2020 is a textbook study of cybersecurity and access control. I think this really comes down to one of the main problems, which is that for verified accounts, accounts that uh, have a lot of followers, that have a lot of impact on the site, there aren't really any special security for these high-profile Twitter accounts. Um, so losing control or, lose, or having your employees lose control of these specific high-value accounts is pretty damaging. Twitter, on the access control of their employees and having access to these admin, admin-like tools, they have a lot of work to do to improve that. They have teams around the world that help with account support, and they use proprietary tools, and they need to be in they need to be in line with the Twitter rules and, and respond to reports. And access is supposedly very limited to people that have been granted valid business reasons. So they have a zero tolerance policy for misusing credentials or tools, obviously, and they actively monitor for misuse. But at the end of the day, that doesn't really cut it if that access control isn't enforced. No, totally. And apparently, according to people who worked with Twitter this past year, over a thousand employees, you know, or contractors at Twitter had admin level access. There were only about 5,000 Twitter employees. So that means that 20% of the people who worked at Twitter had admin access. This time they lost access to their support tools, but what if there's an insider threat? What if there's a person out of like the 20% of their whole company that says, you know what, I want to see the world burn, right? That is an insane amount of power in a pretty large amount of people. This is, this is a crucial problem that we're kind of getting to. You know, with the field of intelligence, a lot of the time, you know, the person who actually is the insider, they're disposable, right? 
they're used, they're tossed aside when they're done. They're not saved or anything for their work. You know, and for this reason, there's a lot of pressure put on insider threats in working for the government. There's a lot of vetting. But what about social media platforms and, you know, the power of, like, Twitter? Intelligence services could easily start targeting people at Twitter who don't have the same sort of scrutiny that government clearances require, but do have incredibly consequential political and global access. And you could say there are some Twitter employees who have even more access and power than probably some embassy officials. I, I completely agree. It's it's kind of a an overstatement. I guess we're kind of being, you know, shown how fragile sort of these communication mechanisms actually are and how important they actually are. One thing we can't forget here is the economic ramifications of Twitter and how far it as a platform really reaches into our society. Think about Elon Musk tweeting about Tesla and tweeting about his legal troubles. If you're an investor and you see the CEO of of Tesla tweeting about legal troubles, that's going to influence the stock price. And so Elon Musk could conceivably, and he's accused of doing this, is manipulate the 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 stock market by using your influence, by by talking on Twitter. I think he even went on Twitter at one point saying, I think Tesla stock is too high. Right. It's crazy. Like social media and the amplified interest you can have on certain individuals can have a huge impact on economic interests. Instead of having a Bitcoin scam, the Minecraft hackers uh, tweeted on Jeff Bezos' Twitter account that Amazon is acquiring a startup, you know, or they're acquiring uh, another another organization. Like, that could shake the foundations of whole markets. What if, like, Amazon said it was acquiring Alphabet, Google's Alphabet, and they also happen to hack, uh, you know, Google's Alphabet account on Twitter as well, and they verify it. That's two areas that you would expect to have at least some sort of check, but now both are actually confirming it. The amount of time it's going to take for incident response and actual regaining access to these accounts and putting out the true story is going to take a lot of time. And as it already stands with the stock market, transactions are made instantaneously. You could make loads of money from these from these false claims. Stock market aside, the same thing can be said for international relations. Twitter has special precautions and privileges they have on the president's Twitter account, but losing access to another head of state or important political leader can have huge ramifications on the international economy. You know, what if what if the the head of state was announcing on Twitter illicitly because of these Minecraft hackers that they were leveraging sanctions on another country? You know, the ramifications could be huge. Totally. I mean, the fact that Twitter has been basically elevated as a pulpit for political figures, for real government officials, is a huge problem. It makes it a huge target for one. But even ignoring it as a target, you know, is a powerful platform that now has like an overemphasis when it's tweeting. It shouldn't be an official policy. And because we have to treat it like that now, well, we've really given a lot of power to potential hackers. So... Things are looking kind of grim for this. What are the next steps, honestly? One is the nuclear option. And that is, if the risk seems to be too high, you rely on Twitter less often. However, it's Twitter. It's easy marketing. It's widely adopted. It might have to come with a cultural change where people look at things on Twitter with a bit more suspicion. Yeah, that's not really something that can be done overnight. It's it's really is a cultural change, unfortunately. And the way that the platform is kind of designed, it commercializes on that sort of big news sort of bulletins, you know? So it's kind of created with that being a function, not a flaw. 
So unlikely, unfortunately. Twitter could use behavioral AI to detect if a tweet is different, you know, than like a previous tweet, you know, based off how you write it. You know, we've actually talked a little bit about behavioral AI and behavior in a previous episode. If you should really check that out, if you're interested a little bit more about behavioral access and behavior as a means of uh, authentication. And on Twitter side, they can leverage security background checks on employees. Um, internal threat would still be an issue, but the structure of the organization facilitated this hack. The fact that access control was lost so easily and in internal security fell apart once it was compromised is a huge problem. Bad access control and Twitter's response needs to be elevated. Thankfully, this was a low stakes uh, this is a low stakes hack, and if anything, the reputation of Twitter was harmed more than anything. But this does give them an opportunity to reevaluate how they're doing things and improve. To Twitter's credit, they've said that they've limited access to internal tools and systems to ensure account security while they complete the investigation, reduce some of the features, and that going forward, that they're going to accelerate their pre-existing security work streams and improve their methods for detecting and preventing inappropriate access to their internal systems. Well, at least that's what they're saying they're going to do. But I think it's important that we leave with a couple questions for us to think on that we really don't have the answer to after all of this, but certainly are ones that we have to be asking after this big caper. I think the first thing really to think about is this hack shows the fragility of our world in regards to disinformation. If you have the most powerful people in the world all posting something and you're the one who's reading these tweets and you're the, the public at large, there is this element of belief that this is this is what these people are saying, this is truth, and the ramifications of, of misinformation on something like Twitter, where millions of people use Twitter as a source of news, is a huge problem. It's a huge uh, point of weakness. Should world leaders stop using Twitter as their primary means of communication to the public? I mean, what did they use before Twitter? Press releases? Press conferences? Memos? Yeah, th- th- those, those are then posted by news outlets on Twitter. So, you know, like, what if the news outlets get get targeted and then there's and then there's actual fake news from, from hacked accounts? I mean, it's just the cycle just keeps going there. Right. And I really don't see world leaders stopping using Twitter, right? Um unless it's replaced by another more popular social media site, which could always happen, right? The environment that we're in right now, information and and the fast-paced dissemination of information is key. One of the trade-offs of of fast information dissemination is that information isn't always checked. So maybe understanding the streams of information for the public is a good way to think about this, like an educational effort where if you see something on Twitter, the expectation is, okay, maybe, and then wait a bit. <laughs> no one likes to wait, but waiting a bit and then verifying. That's hard to do. If the president tweets that a volcano is about to erupt, you're going to j- jump under a table, not go on Wikipedia and see if there's a volcano nearby. But that's just what I think. I have to say, as we conclude here, that we're kind of entering a new era of hacking and cybersecurity. For a long time, you know, it was things like access or denying access. We had an age of sort of ransomware that obviously is still persisted, but we're entering increasingly more time where attacks are leveraged not against access themselves or getting people out of things, but instead about data's integrity, the authenticity of data, where things are changed and presented as fact, 
that is where these hacks are now being more targeted. And that's kind of the future that we're seeing, at least for now, for cybersecurity. It's something to really think about as people continue to address this in their future risk management strategies. We hope you've enjoyed this walkthrough of the great Twitter caper of 2020. This is our first time doing a sort of more investigative piece. We hope you all enjoyed this. As always, you can follow Decrypted on Twitter, where we hopefully will not be hacked and we'll post a Bitcoin address for you to send money to. We assure you we will not be doing that. But you can follow us on Twitter at Decrypted Podcast. Be sure to look out for the next episode. Tweet out about the episode and give us a like and review on iTunes or whatever podcasting service you have. Bring out the news about Decrypted. We really appreciate it. And it's the number one thing you can do to give back to the podcast if you like the content that we're having. We hope to do a little bit more narrative pieces like this in the future. As always, it's important to stay safe, enable two-factor authentication, and in this trying time, wash your hands and wear a mask.